Welcome to episode 10 of the Everyday is Halloween podcast. I'm your host, Horror Guy Keenan, and I'm here to give you all your creeps and thrills and chills for the month of October in June. <laughs> um, this episode's pretty special, near and dear to my heart, because I've been kind of wanting to talk about the subject for a while. It is the death and rebirth of uh, physical media, mainly movies. Uh, there's a lot of streaming services out there and a lot of um, a lot of people not buying Blu-rays or DVDs anymore, uh, and I feel that there's a lot that goes into that, a lot of love and labor. Um, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, but right now, I want to talk to you guys a little about where we're at with the show. Uh, I'm happy to announce that this is the first episode that is going to be part of Con Radio, uh, part of Wizard World's new uh, podcast uh, extravaganza. They have different podcasts for everything, including comics and movies and what to wear and, and just things that are very geek chic uh, in, in the world of, of fandom, I guess you could say. Uh, if you go out to a Wizard World convention, you know that there's everything from horror to comics to sci-fi to... It's not really a, a one-genre uh, thing anymore. It's it's uh, it's just like the, the love and labor of being a geek and being a nerd and just nerding out about something. Uh, the the term is has changed a lot over the last couple of years, um, so I'm very happy to be part of the Con Radio team. We've been trying to get this off the ground for quite a while now, and uh, this will be the first episode. So I'm very excited for that. Very very happy to be part of that family, and uh, hope to grow more uh, and get more listeners throughout that that adventure. Uh, but let's go into some some advertising real quick. Horror Block. You can't go wrong with Horror Block. Uh, they have some great deals, some great stuff coming out. I'm literally squeezing a Hannibal Hart um, stress ball thing right now that I got from them, and uh, they just do, they send out really great stuff. Um, so definitely check out Horror Block this month and get a jump on their stuff. Apparently, this month they're going to have a scream item inside the box, so definitely check that out. All right, now that has been said, uh, I've talked. To the owner of Midnight Syndicate, uh, they're the ones that supply us a lot of the music that I play throughout a couple episodes here and there, and Ed informed me that they're putting out a Christmas horror CD. So, you fans that are very sad around October when it's Halloween ends, uh, you play all that Halloween music and then you transition to Christmas and then you got, you know, Silver Bells, Silver Bells. This is the same boring shit over here. Uh, so this will be a cool uh, atmospheric background music of uh, for uh, Christmas tunes. And you better believe it. This December we will definitely have that on the show. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, watched a few films over the, uh, over the break. Uh, Mad Max came out on Blu-ray. The original Mad Max. And still to this day my favorite Mad Max. Now the new one, Fury Road. Fantastic film. I will not give that movie crap because I, oh my god, it was it was a straight orgasm for an hour and a half, I feel. Um, 
but I love the original Mad Max. I think there's a lot of beauty in that film and and just little subtle hints of like the eyes gouging out, almost like stop animation eyes right before that truck hits that bike, you know. Um, and you get to see it all in glorious 1080p. Uh, wonderful release by Scream Factory. Great special features. A lot of love and labor went into that uh, that disc. And uh, along with Sleepaway Camp 1 and 2, uh, these didn't really get a wide release um, when the, the first Blu-ray came out. So I know it was something they've been trying to put out for a while now. And I, I've watched Sleepaway Camp two a lot but i always had a really bad copy of it so i've seen so much more stuff that i never saw before in the last one it just goes to show you how great uh the cleanup is on that blu-ray um so yeah definitely check those out they're all available right now from uh screen factory uh another great film uh that just jumped on netflix i'm late to the game i knew about it i just hadn't seen it in a while wolf cop can we talk about the wolf boner he has a boner and then his wolf junk pops right through it it was fucking insane and then he pees blood oh my god that whole freaking scene was just intense I, I, you know we don't have a lot of uh, a lot of horror coming out of Canada it, it very sporadically happens from ginger snaps um, to like the cast of Freddy vs. Jason like it's there it's, it's just very uh very few and far between so it was really ha- i was really happy to see a good uh, canadian horror film come out i'm excited for the sequel apparently it's slated for 2015 i uh, haven't heard or seen anything about it so it might be something gets pushed off to 2016 uh but definitely check out wolf cop right now on netflix uh it follows it was out in theaters it came out little small release word got around how good it was and it blew up it was refreshing to see uh, a movie like It Follows come out and kind of stir up the genre. And, uh, you know, uh, whatever you do, don't follow sex, is what my friend said. He's, it's very Nightmare on Elm Street slash, you know, uh, I don't know. It, but it was a, a very great acting, very intense and, and creepy. Uh, I still think that the most fearful fearful thing would be to be in a, a Olympic size swimming pool and have somebody chuck an iron at you. That's just terrifying to me. Uh, <laughs> check that out. Um, we Are Still Here is out right now on Video On Demand. Uh, I don't want to give too much away about that movie. Uh, and It's very... Uh, it's a Larry Fessenden... I don't know if he's directed it. I didn't really look too much into the movie, but Larry Fessenden is in the film and he's always a treat. Um, it's a house that has this sort of uh, this history to it and these people move in and then they come to find out there's a wicked past like most haunted house films but only the town is there to make sure that they don't leave and they're they're kind of uh, doing something with the people there. I don't want to give too much away but the last half hour of that film is just balls to the wall and you cannot miss We Are Still Here. Um, Also watch Monsters Dark Continent, the sequel to... Gareth Edwards' uh, Monsters that came out, which got him the directing job on the new Godzilla film. Uh, so I was very excited to see that there was a sequel coming out to Monsters. And it, I'm going to tell you, I was let down big time. This movie blew chunks so hard all over the place. Uh, it, it kind of lost the labor of what made the first Monsters really fun and scary. And it just kind of turns it into a meat-headed uh, 
Marines simplified. No, nothing against the Marines or anything. It's just the way the movie was directed and the actors that are in it. Every guy's just screaming at another guy. And, you know, the monsters are almost kind of like a back thought because now we're fighting terrorists. And I don't know. It, it, it lost me. It lost the, the the direction that I thought the first one film was, was building very well. Uh, so I feel like Monsters Dark Continent you can definitely pass up. And if you pass it up, you should just check out The Guest a very very good film with it centers around Halloween time if you're listening to the show you enjoy Halloween this this is what I'm talking about with Halloween guys you can make a very straightforward horror movie and it takes place in a neighborhood but your film still looks bland it's still a film in a neighborhood in a house but when you add elements of Halloween around it and you have masks and you have the deep purples and the greens and the oranges you know that that creepy thought of something that's lurking back there on top of just your generic storytelling you can make your film pop and look good and I feel like Halloween really brought this film alive and brought it color and gave it a lot of uh, depth on top of the great acting and the great storytelling that this film had uh, I wouldn't say the main star is a poor man's uh, Ryan Gosling, but he he definitely did a great job, <laughs> um, and I, I look forward to seeing him in more things. Uh, the whole cast was great. I believe the girl that was in that is also in um, It Follows. She's the main girl in, in that movie, so uh, definitely check those movies out. They were great. Um, so I'm done bab- blabbling from this next blabbling. I'm done. Yeah, whatever. I'm done blabbing away. Uh, so I'm going to get right to it uh, and introduce you guys to my old podcast co-host, uh, Tim Anderson. And he's going to be on and talk to you guys a little bit about the uh, the life and death of the physical media and what, you know, these digital books and digital comics and digital movies. And, you know, we just we get it on our tablets and then we just delete it and then that's it. And that's, you know, but there's something there's something special about having a, a nice leather bound book. It's only Ron Burgundy. Uh, there's a nice, there's something nice about having a great Criterion collection or a Screen Factory collection of a movie, uh, a movie set that you can always go back to and check out the special features. I've seen this movie a million times. I want to see what it was like to see uh, the background work behind Nightmare Before Christmas and see the 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 love that was put into that, and it makes you open up your eyes to that to that movie or to that show that you really enjoyed. So without further ado, here is the interview with Tim Anderson. So I'm happy to have uh, my good friend Tim Anderson on the show. Welcome, Tim. Hey, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, you guys heard Tim uh, along with David and Lauren uh, about two, three episodes ago. Uh, Tim and I started working together a long time ago. Got it. Suncoast Video. That's right. Uh, was like, was that after your Blockbuster job? It was after Blockbuster. I worked for Blockbuster from uh, '94 to '97, and then Suncoast. I ran from '97 to 2001. Okay, gotcha. Um, and then you went. Okay, so then you went the, there, and then we started working at Bloody Disgusting after that, right? Yeah, I I started Bloody Disgusting in 2006, and I forget the year you came on, but it wasn't that long after that. It was whenever Brad wanted to start podcasting, right? So that was the really, I think, the thing that really keyed you in. So I think that was, give or take two years, maybe? Yeah. I don't know, 2008, Probably. maybe? Yeah, I think it was around 2008. Yeah, long um, time. Yeah. Uh, but so we, you've been around physical media for a good while, a good chunk of your life, I'd say, right? 
I mean, yeah. I mean, I've been buying. I know. I can tell you right now, my first movie that I ever bought was Ferris Bueller's Day Off on VHS, (laughs) and I bought it at a Publix grocery store when it came out for sale. Um, So maybe that was 1987. Okay. Wow. And so, what was it? It was. I've heard a rumor that Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the first uh, movie to ever get like a physical format release. Is that true? Oh, I, I have no idea. I, that sounds hard to believe, to be honest with you. I mean, the thing That's is, is that at the time, you know, starting in the late 70s, you could buy VHS tapes, mm-hmm. but they were sell-through was the same way they were at when Blockbuster was key, which was that they were like $89 a, a movie. Right, like you were um, taking a... a... Like this was that was a big thing at that time to be owning. Yeah, you had a better deal at the time to- at the same time to buy RCA video discs, which were basically like a precursor to Laserdisc, okay. which existed at the exact same time as VHS's launch in the seventies, but just that nobody really had them. But they were they were more they were cheaper. Mm-hmm. You can totally buy those on eBay now, like for like pennies. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> the I guess you'd have to find a working R V R R C A V or video disc player mm-hmm. to play them in, but. If you guys want laser discs, I've still got a working laser disc player, though. Do you really? Yeah, I have a, I have a really expensive Pioneer laser disc player. It actually was a dual format laser disc, a DVD, VCD player. What is your favorite um, laser disc that you own for that? I actually own a really cool laser disc uh, for a film called A Pure Formality, which was directed by Giuseppe Donatori, that directed mm-hmm. um, the film. Um, oh, wow, my brain's flipping out on me. Um, I can't think of the name of it. Uh, famous Italian film was nominated for the Oscar. Anyway, and it stars Gerard Depardieu and Roman Polanski, and it all takes place on the rainy night in a police station, and it's a murder mystery. It's very Hitchcockian. Oh, cool. Um, and it's never been released um, in any other format for sell-through. Oh, uh, wow. And it's really, really cool. So that's uh, like the movie. one thing that makes you just keep holding on to your laser disc. Yeah, I keep holding on to your laser because it's the only way I have the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Man, and that's the thing now, like... Uh, I, I remember Cinema even... Paradiso. I'm sorry, I had to pop in. Giuseppe okay. Tenditore directed Cinema Paradiso. <laughs> but yeah, like that's the reason I kept my VHS player was a long time because there were certain things that I couldn't find that yeah. got transferred to DVD. Uh, and it seems like more and more now that there's uh, digital files coming, you know, coming out that you can pretty much find almost anything uh, transferred uh, into a digital format. Well, and... I mean, oh, there's all kinds of stuff that's been, you know bootleg that is sitting out on the internet to, to steal i mean friends of mine have like i mean i i can't even necessarily call it bootlegging if they if you can't buy it at all right like you know there's like a, there's some kind of like you know i don't know what you would want to call it but there is there's some kind of exception to the copyright law mm-hmm. um or 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 a, or or a loophole in it that kind of says like you know if the if the thing is not available from any manufacturer that you you can bootleg it but i mean i don't think it's like completely true right like, you know but you know there's a the thing that they kind of ran a lot of those like you know bootlegging companies that did vhs and dvd burns mm-hmm. um up until a few years ago used to get away with like selling you italian movies in the u.s that i still i think the loophole doesn't account for u.s movies right that aren't being done but if it's like a foreign film like if it was an italian like giallo uh-huh. film from the 70s that had nobody in the u.s was releasing that you could basically like grab a euro laser disc make a billion copies of it and sell it in the u.s for 20 bucks a piece yourself and you weren't technically breaking copyright right law. yeah so, i don't know and i remember like there was a uh, wasn't i started 
back with Bloody Disgusting. David, you and I, we would actually have a separate DVD player that played overseas DVDs because they wouldn't release, like, the Phantasm box set in America. Yeah. And... I still have a region free. Uh, I have a Pioneer player that was hacked in Hong Kong um, that I, I imported that is really cool because um, it up converts everything to 720 mm-hmm. uh, through the HDMI cable that's in it, which is different than the old players that used to just use the RCA cables. Right. Um, because what would happen is, if, you know, PAL is encoded at 25 frames a second where everything else is converted or is, is at 24 in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So it used to be if you watched one of those old, one of those PAL DVDs uh, from the U.K. on a U.S. DVD player or on a region-free player on a U.S. television, it actually down-converted the movie. Oh, wow. To be able to play it. Um, and so PAL DVD has always looked a little, just a little bit worse because they were playing in you know normal standard definition, mm-hmm. and they were a little wonky because they had been downgraded. So this one's really yeah. cool because it upconverts everything to 720. So not only does it look better than it would have looked had it not done the upconversion, it actually still looks better than it would even if it was a straight PAL recording because it's get, you're getting a little bit of quality. Right, and that was a big. Yeah, that was a big thing for DVD, too, because, like, nowadays, yeah. you have Blu-ray players that kind of just go straight through. You got your 1080p yeah. uh, screen. But, yeah, with the DVD, you know, like, people didn't even realize that some of their DVD players, the cheap ones they bought at Walmart, were downgrading their footage, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I just read a, a thing the other day, a PricewaterhouseCoopers study released last year and predicted that digital home entertainment formats would surpass physical formats by 2016 and that DVDs would fall more than 28% between 2013 and 2018. Do you think that's hmm. that's true? Do you think that's going to happen? I mean, I think – hasn't the, the industry already stated that essentially the sales of DVD plateaued a few years ago and now they're seeing reduc- – they're, they're already seeing reductions of like – of double digits per year, yeah. I think. Um, but I do think that there's – you know, I mean, I think that's relative because one thing is that I think the studios have stopped mark- – I believe – I'm blaming the studios at least 50 percent of the this this on the studios which is that they're pushing all of their own digital formats and they're working on their ways of selling their libraries digitally right come to the uh, because it cuts out all of their manufacturing costs yeah so because of that i think they stopped making a big push for our dvd and blu-ray ray the way that they used to and i think you can see that just based on the special features that get put on movies nowadays compared to what was put on movies 5 years ago mm-hmm. they they've cut back on the amount of stuff that they're shoving on there as bonus features yeah um you're lucky to even get a making of these days i mean yeah it is i mean we, you get something it's it's rare to get something exceptional like 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 um prometheus a few years ago or or all of the um the hunger games movies now which are giving you like two and a half to three hour documentaries Mm -hmm. on the making of the movie that's like i mean that's the exception to the rule now nowadays you're you're getting the promo crap that they cut you know that's five to 15 minutes long and then maybe you're getting some deleted scenes and gosh i mean even audio commentaries kind of gone the way of the dinosaur you don't even see that many audio commentaries anymore yeah nobody wants to drive out to the studio and sit there and watch their movie again you know <laughs> well they have to pay they pay the, you know everybody to do that i mean that's one of those things where like you know if you're a sag actor you get paid mm-hmm. more to do the audio commentary so yeah you know that's more studios like well i don't want to pay the money to do that so Right. And I'm noticing now, like, if you go into, like, a Best Buy, you know, at one point, physical media was what was keeping those stores alive. 
yeah. uh, selling DVDs and stuff. And nowadays, what they I feel like they should have done was when Blu-ray first came hit the scene about nine years ago, uh, the the covers were kind of made specifically for fans that didn't want to just buy a DVD. They wanted the 1080p surround sound yeah. experience for the Blu-ray. So the the covers to the films were catered to that. Like a great one was Criterion. They yeah. always make sure that their Criterion releases were made for the fans. Yeah. Uh, rather than just somebody going out and buying, um, you know, Steve Zizou just because they saw it once and thought it was cool. Like, yeah. it's for the people that really wanted it. And now you have Best Buys and stores that are trying just to get these formats out there. They're making these steel books. They're redoing the covers just to sell these things. And I feel like nobody's buying anymore. Like, it's it's cool that you are now re-releasing Hellboy 2 with a greater uh, or a better, you know, cover than it ever had before. But I feel like it's too little too late at this time, you know? I don't know, man. Part of me thinks that that, that I mean, that's just double dipping, triple drip, dipping, quadruple dipping. The studios were always notorious about doing that. Yeah. They had these evergreen titles that they can sell year in and year out, like movies that just never go out of fashion. You're always going to be able to sell The Breakfast Club. It doesn't right. matter when it is, what year it is. doesn't matter. You can sell The Breakfast Club anytime, anywhere, and they call it the, the industry calls that evergreen. Mm-hmm. So the idea of taking something like that and then saying, oh, well, now here's the sp- book special edition of it or here's the 25th anniversary edition of it or here's the back to school edition of it or you know whatever they throw one more thing on it again I mean they're either going to sell they can either keep reselling it to the same person over and over again or it gives them a tiny little bit of marketing push Mm -hmm. you know to go sell a few more of them again later but I think you kind of hit something on the head which is that you know it's shocking to go into a Best Buy now and look at how little physical media uh, is available in those stores anymore and ultimately I mean I think that that's a double-edged sword. You know, they're not stocking it anymore, so it's not selling. So that you know attributes to the decline. But again, they're also they're going, they're still going up against the likes of Amazon, um, who's selling everything. Um, you know, everything, and they're still <laughs> selling it. For, and they're selling it for forty percent off. Right. And there used to be this big thing where, um, and this the music industry pointed this out a long time ago, which was that um, if Walmart stopped selling CDs the music industry would collapse overnight. But it wouldn't affect Walmart in the least. And the reason why is, and I'm sure my numbers are wrong, but it was something like CD sales attributed for less than 1% of Walmart's total revenue, yet they accounted for like 30% of the entire music industry's revenue. Oh, wow. So if Walmart stopped tomorrow, it would affect their bottom line by a percent or less. And if, but it would just, the music industry would lose 30 something percent of their sales mm-hmm. overnight. And that's what Amazon has become, I think, to almost everything music, movies, all, all of that, mm-hmm. which is that I, music and movies probably do attribute for significantly more of a percentage of underlying sales than they said, for example, at Walmart. But in terms of what they were, Representing the industry, I wouldn't be surprised if it isn't even more than thirty percent of yeah. the sales that are coming through there. Because it used to be to the point where if your movie didn't do well in theaters, at least like if it was like an underground hit, if it came out on physical format, that you know you'd at least have the people buying that, and it would blow up, and it would have like an underground hit, kind of like a Fifth Element kind of thing. Yeah, um, and that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Like maybe somebody might watch it on Netflix, but because of the 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 movie scene is so saturated these days that you could just sit there and watch an entire season of X Files and not even care about that new movie that hit Netflix. The drive though that created all of those cult films was was rental stores though. 
I yes. mean, those movies found their life there. They can still find them on Netflix, but they're a hell of a lot harder because you almost you have to kind of almost know what you're looking for. Right. There's still movies like Pitch Perfect is a good example, right? I mean, it didn't do gangbusters at the box office, but it definitely found a life on video and it got shared at, you know, sleepover parties or whatever, mm-hmm. so much so that the sequel could come out and earn more then the movie earned on its in, the first movie earned on its entire opening run. It can earn more than that in three days. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that still happens, but I think that you, um, it's gonna it's getting harder and harder. I think to find those cult films and, and get those bases to grow, just because they don't have. Um, I mean, look, you know, whatever. Redbox is Redbox. You know, Netflix right. is Netflix, and it's just not quite the same thing as what you know it was like to go into a video store i mean and you know don't get me started on how video stores just video stores destroyed their own market themselves they have no one to blame for going out of business but themselves especially blockbuster i mean blockbuster literally drove them their own business out of business right i mean they were killing mom and pop stores all around which was killing the industry in itself yeah but then they then they imploded themselves because what they did is they started to guarantee rentals which was they were stocking so much new release stuff that they were guaranteeing that it would be in stock. And the thing is, is that if you drove all the way to a, a blockbuster store on a Friday night to rent Braveheart mm-hmm. and Braveheart was checked out, well, then you rented something else that was there. Right. Because you already drove to the damn store. You want to so watch So you weren't going to be like, well, I guess we'll just go home and not watch anything. Well, of course not. You you rented something else. But when Blockbuster started saying, we absolutely guarantee you we will have Braveheart when you get here and because we're going to buy 300 copies of it. And what happens is that everybody went to the store, everybody got to rent Braveheart, and then they went home and they watched Braveheart and they didn't rent any other crap in the store. Right. And so what would happen is you know, all the catalog stuff would just start dwind- started dwindling and dwindling and dwindling, and then you just didn't have a repeat business. Because remember, if the guy didn't get the Braveheart the first time and rented something else, when he came back, hopefully there was Braveheart there again, and then he would rent Braveheart again. Right. So they actually killed their own repeat business by guaranteeing you, you know, you could get your movie. Yeah, because, I mean, that also takes away from the shelf uh, space, you know, if you have 300 yeah. copies. I remember seeing, like, you know, like four shelves of the same movie over and over just to show that like you said we have it so that means all those great classic you know faded covered horror films or you know dramas or comedies or whatever they get shelved off because there's maybe two copies of um i don't know Pumpkinhead, and now there's one and then that's nobody even cares about Pumpkinhead anymore so just get rid of it you know yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, and that, all that's gone. I mean, the ability to kind of go and do that is gone. And I mean, for, you know, I mean, I love Netflix. I mean, I, I watch Netflix almost every day of the week. Mm-hmm. So I'm not yeah. going to, you know, complain about it. Um, right. I mean, I was one of the very first people to sign up for Netflix. I've had my Netflix account for forever. Yeah, I mean, you but. also do the physical media too, right? Like you get- I, still have, I still do the DVD side of it because they don't get – I want weird movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I want obscure foreign films or I want, you know, things that didn't play, you know, every, you know, played in like three theaters because they ate like in New York and L.A. Right. And most of that stuff doesn't go to streaming right off the bat. Um, so that's the stuff I need. I don't need Netflix to see, you know, Insidious 3 because I've got movie pass. So I just go to the movie theaters. Right. That. I mean, it says the shows here at 6.26 million subscribers still get physical media through Netflix. 
Yeah, that's because you get there's more stuff. Right, there's still a, a, a want and a need for it. That's why I feel like when people say, "Oh, I just stream everything," like I don't even go like look for a movie anymore. It's like you're kind of getting what they give you, you know? Absolutely, and you're yeah. only getting what they can work the best deal out for. And then eventually, if all these studios decide to start streaming their stuff themselves to shove Netflix out of the game, which is what they really want. Mm-hmm. Then you have to look at where the problem's going to be. I mean, HBO wants to launch HBO Go as a standalone service now and charge $15 a month for it. Well, why the hell? I'm not going to pay $15 a month for HBO Go when I can buy an entire season of Game of Thrones for $39.99. Right. Definitely. So, I mean, there's maybe three HBO shows that I watch. I'd, I'd rather just buy the thing on Blu-ray than to pay them $16 a month for 12 months. You know, I could have bought six shows <laughs> yeah exactly i you mean know. right now we just got i just got bright house in the new place that i'm at and it i went over to hbo and it's 19.99 a month if you just want to get it through the comp the, the, the cable company yeah and that's that's absurd it's insane especially when you said hbo now is charging you know, yeah $15. one of the things the cable company does is they'll bundle too though so you, you might be able to pick up showtime for five dollars with hbo so mm-hmm. then you technically have for 25 dollars you have hbo and showtime so then that averages out to what 1250 a show at the station so they have a you know a game where they get a little more money if they can get you to you know do the thing and then you can prorate it across the amount of things you picked up but you're right if you just buy like one premium channel like it's expensive to do i mean it, and I, I did the math once and i was thinking like i and that's why i don't have any of those stations anymore mine was just sort of like hey look you know what i mean for the stuff that i watch that's on it mm-hmm. that i care about i could just wait till the season's over and buy the blu-ray of it and right. then I'll have it, a physical. Because like, I'm, I'm just not going to, I mean, I know we're going to talk about the death of physical media. But for me, you know, I'm going to keep buying physical media. I mean, right. I still buy vinyl records. I've been buying, buying vinyl records since I bought my first vinyl record in like 1984 at like a Kmart. Yes. So, <laughs> and I still buy vinyl records today. And I don't really think that things like that will die. Um, you no. Know, and I mean, but that's... it's just they'll become niche market. That's the perfect example right there is, is vinyl. Like people eventually were like, oh, vinyl's old. You know, I'm going to upgrade to cassette tape and then, they, you know, go to CDs. And now look what's happened. There's just this, this whole turn where vinyl's cool again. And there's people buying record players in uh, Books A Million or a Borders. Yeah, well, it's become a collector's market. And you, and you pointed out for movies, Criterion's another prime example of it. It's a collector's market and they know what they're doing mm-hmm. to, you know, market towards the collector. And that's why I don't think there'll ever be a complete death of physical media. I think, for one, there won't be because people like to hold things in their hands. Like I told, I told somebody years ago I would never buy a Nook mm-hmm. because I think it's blasphemy to not have a, a, a book that, you know, I mean, there have been books for a thousand years. Right. You know, and I just can't. There's something about holding a book. Um, oh yeah, and the smell of a book, and you know what? I don't need it. I don't need to, and I don't know any human being on the planet that needs to have three hundred books on them at all times. Right. So there is no need to have enough. <laughs> you, yeah. know? Um, you know, even if you travel a lot, the best that you're going to need is maybe two books a trip. You know, exactly. I, I can squeeze a little bit of luggage space out for those. I don't have to have a nook. Mm-hmm. You know? so. Yeah. And it's like, are people that? Um... Is the, is the common person today that ADD to the point where they'll only read like a chapter in one digital book and then they'll go to another book? Like I don't even know somebody that's that wants to do that because you want to finish the one book you're reading anyways, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah, I don't do that. I do actually know people that are reading more than a book, one book at a time, mm-hmm. and I don't know how they can do that because I don't have that level of focus. Right. But I also am psycho ADD, so I only when I read a book, I tip. It really doesn't even matter how long the book is. Mm-hmm. I can and I, I read really really fast. Um, I I read every book I uh, ever in like under two days. Oh, wow. Like it doesn't matter if the book if the book's under like four hundred pages, I, I'll read it. And I can read it in a day, right? Because you know, if so, you just let it go, you'll forget things. You'll, you know, you'll well, get I'm busy. I'm mm-hmm. I'm nonstop busy, so I have to key out time to do it. So what I'll do is I will literally just sit down and at like six o'clock at night, and I was like, "This is my night. I'm not going out." And then I will read till like five in the morning, mm-hmm. and you know, I in that frame of time i can i can read a you know 600 page book wow. you know pretty much straight through now I'm, i know a lot of people can't do that but like i'm the guy who like slept out for the harry potter books and then went uh-huh. home and had a cup of coffee or a pot of coffee on and then i start reading the book at like 1205 you know p.m and then yeah. at like six o'clock in the afternoon on the night the day after i would close the and and be done with the 800th page of the book and then i would go to bed Oh my god! Because like, I, I just read the whole book straight through, and it, just because I have to allot myself time to read, right. because otherwise I, I just I am too busy to do it. Mm-hmm. So, and I would never get it done if I just had to sit and I'm like, oh, I'm going to read a couple of chapters a night, you know, and I'll read the book over the course of like a week and a half or something. I it would never. It would take me three months to do it, right? Because and- I don't have a week and a half of time to read a couple chapters a night, right? In between like your lunch breaks or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um. But yeah, the reason I had you on the show is just because I've seen your collection um, in, in your room and how yeah. large it is, and that's just not something that you can say. You know what? I have an iPad. I have a you know a 16 terabyte hard drive. I'm just going to convert everything and just get rid of all of this. Yeah, that just doesn't seem feasible for collectors like you and I. I mean, it only feels feasible if you 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 run out of room <laughs> to right. live. True. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I could be on an episode of Hoarders, I guess. I mean, we've been, but, you've been working in the the industry for quite a while, and you get a lot of the screeners, and you you know you could you know trade in stuff that you didn't want or like yeah. buy the stuff that you did like. But I mean, you have a collection of films that you do want to go back to eventually at another point in time. Yeah, there's very little in my collection that I have not watched more than once, mm-hmm. um, and there's certainly things that I've watched all the time. But um, you're right. Uh, what happened is that. When I did work for Blockbuster, they used to do um, once a year they would do the uh, the zero rent pull, which means that in the last six months the film had not rented at all, and then they would sell them off. And they usually sell them off for something like two ninety nine a copy, and then they would ha- eventually they do they'd have them at like a, a sale on them where they were ninety nine cents, and then we would get like twenty five percent off. Mm-hmm. So what I used to do is I used to stockpile like thirty forty of those movies at a time mm-hmm. in the back corner. Um, and then when the sale would come around, I would buy them all, and then I would get my discount. And so I would walk out of Blockbusters at the end of my shift with like 30 or 40 VHS tapes wow. that I had paid about $30 for or less. <laughs> Which isn't bad. So at one point I had, I think, like almost 3,000 VHS tapes. Wow. Um, almost all of them were classics, foreign films, and like horror movies. The things you couldn't uh, get. Things that, yeah. It, but it was also the stuff that nobody bought. Or nobody rented, so it would get sold out of there. Um, and then when DVD started to come in, I started selling swaths of that on Half.com. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and you could sell those tapes for four or five bucks a piece still on half.com because VHS, those, those movies were still 20, 25 bucks on a copy to buy new. Mm -hmm. And so I probably sold like, I'm probably like five or six thousand dollars worth of VHS tapes on half.com. And then I used that to convert into DVD. Mm -hmm. And then I was writing all the time for various companies and getting tons and tons and tons of screeners. And then I would sell those to have to on to half.com, these DVD screeners. Um, I mean, we would sell those on release day back to half.com, and you could sell used copies of these things for 20 bucks a piece. Now, are we talking well, screeners in the slip, day. or are we talking like an actual screener? Like screeners, uh, DVD screeners, when they first came out, were just the sell-through copies. Okay, gotcha. You know, they didn't, we weren't marked as a screener. They didn't have any um, studio disclaimers on them. They didn't have scratch-through barcodes or anything. Right. So you sell them on release day back to like the half.com for like $20 a piece. Um, cause they were new and knew they were like 24, $29. Um, and so I used that to get thousands and thousands of more dollars in credit in, in, you know, payments that I would use to buy other DVDs. So I don't even know how many DVDs and Blu-rays I have right now. I, I probably around 2,500, mm-hmm. but I would say I, I paid it. for less than half of those out of my own pocket, way less than half. Of right. Them. And then the good thing, too, was that you didn't feel like you were wasting your money because you were kind of buying and selling through the same amount of money that you would, you yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, I still don't really buy DVDs with my own money right now because I trade. I still trade in stuff every once in a while or I sell through crap that's laying around my house that I don't play. Dude, I totally just sold – this is so interesting in the side. I totally <laughs> just sold my Zelda Wii game uh-huh. uh, back to a site called textbookbuyback.com. You guys ever use this site? Whatever. I got 1950 for it. <laughs> wow. Which Zelda game? Uh, Skyward. Uh, oh, Skyward Wii. Sword. The Skyward one. Sword. 1950 for a used copy of Skyward Sword on Wii. And it's weird because those Zelda games, they actually like a lot of Nintendo games would come out and just be whatever. But the that that genre of Zelda, those actually stay relevant, you know? Well, you know, that's something that's funny, and I actually, as we were going through it today, I, I actually also sold a Metal Gear Solid game I had for the original PlayStation, and I got six bucks for that. That's not bad. That's amazing for an original PlayStation game, but yeah. the reason why is because those are those, these games all have cult followings behind them, mm-hmm. and people that don't have them or never got them still really, really want them. So you right. can sell like Zelda games and Mario games and like Resident Evil games and stuff that you know have had significant runs, mm-hmm. like a Final Fantasy. I mean, you can still get fairly good money for those. Where like if you wanted to trade in something like whatever like nhl 2003 or something you probably right. couldn't get 50 cents for it even if they were willing to buy it exactly which probably most of them wouldn't even be willing to buy it but anyway it's interesting because that's just the kind of things that go on right you'll but still, I have... still do that all the time so i've got about 300 dollars of credits sitting on amazon at any given time mm-hmm. so i never i buy stuff from amazon every you know couple weeks i'll pick up something new but i almost i haven't been paying out of pocket for something in years wow (laughs) well that's 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 great that you can be able to do something like that that you've kind of built over the years you know your own kind of entertainment fund yeah i'm my own industry yeah (laughs) (laughs) but back to blu-rays and dvds and stuff i I feel uh a blu-ray can have you know it, it can always go 1080p you don't need to rely on the internet to have that because you get the even a 1080p stream at times can kind of downgrade if your internet you know if your daughter's on her ipad or or something's going on um along with the, the surround sound that a disc you know like the with a 5.1 surround sound that certain ones do and um like you said special features 
that you can't get just if you just hit a Netflix watch, you know. Um, it, it it's just kind of it's kind of sad to see people just not really care enough to want to see the behind the scenes, the commentary, uh, and that's why Blu-rays are for the fans. I feel you know that's why it like it never fully took over DVD. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I mean, the porn industry did things... side with it, so <laughs> that's another reason. Well, one of the things about, you know, Blu-ray, you know, they marketed it to tech guys at the beginning. So it's like if you didn't have an HDTV and a Blu-ray player, well, you weren't going to buy a Blu-ray because, you know, I mean, that's just more money and, you know, the player costs more. And, and then it's never really lost that stigma because it still is kind of like a collector's market mm-hmm. for it. And I think most people just don't care that much. Joe Public, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I don't know. There's, and Blu-ray had the same problem that VHS had when it launched too, which is that you know they ran competing formats mm-hmm. against it, so you know people didn't know what to buy because they didn't know what was going to go away first. Mm-hmm. You know, was HD DVD going to be the winner? Was Blu-ray going to be the winner? I mean, I held out forever. I didn't buy a DVD player. I didn't. I didn't buy a DVD. I didn't upgrade to Blu-ray or HD DVD until it was pretty clear what the winner was going to be. And the way I figured out what the winner was going to be is the more studios were sending me Blu-ray screeners mm-hmm. of movies and no studios were sending me HD DVD screeners of oh, wow. movies. Yeah. So I actually probably, the day I bought my Blu-ray player, I had probably 20 Blu-rays sitting in a corner mm-hmm. that I never bought. They were just screeners, but they were like The Thing and The Dawn of the Dead that Zack Snyder did and yeah. You know, like stuff like that. They were all just sitting in a corner that I never watched because I didn't have a player and they were free screeners that were sent in. Okay. Do you remember when they, whenever stores like they would sell like a copy of Star Trek Into Darkness, uh, but Best Buy would have its own special feature, Target would have its own special features, and it was like you couldn't just get the feature you wanted until if you waited like another two to three years, like uh, Grindhouse, for example, whenever you yeah. wanted. You just wanted that grindhouse experience, but they only sold the wine scenes. Only made sure you got Planet Terror and Death Proof on separate discs, and it was just like, why would you alienate the customers that are trying to buy this, you know, copy? Basically, money. They just wanted to keep selling it. But now, I mean, I guess yeah, it all comes down to money. There's an idea that like if you split all the special features across different companies, that maybe you'd have one lunatic that wants to buy all six copies of Star Trek Into Darkness to get all the features. Right. But I feel like I'll so never rare. truly understand what the Weinsteins did with Grindhouse because it just doesn't really make any sense. Except that maybe in their mind, instead of being driven by the money, which I'm sure they figured if you sold it separately, you'd get our, the guys. Would, there would definitely be guys that would buy it separately and then go buy the edition later that was together. Mm-hmm. But part of it could be in that respect is that the first the actual movie itself bombed yeah i mean grindhouse bombed now bombed for a lot of reasons i think the key one is that they opened it on easter weekend Mm -hmm. um you know and didn't ever really kind of explain what it was about to anybody (laughs) it was just here's this thing that's a throwback that you might not even know about go (laughs) yeah so it's hard to sell like a, a movie that nobody can quite understand, and it's three hours long, and it's Easter weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, go right. But I do think I mean I you know you've noticed that the studios aren't doing a whole lot of that exclusivity anymore. No, uh, they're because just Star Trek it. Into Darkness kind of blew up in their face, right? Like websites. I mean, they really took took them to task on doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I still see it done. But I'm more interested in seeing them do something like I'm okay with them doing something kind of interesting, like when they did um, 
they did the last Harry Potter movie. The only only Target editions got the When Harry Left Hogwarts documentary, which was this little hour long documentary shot by like a film school student in the UK who was allowed access to the set. Oh, cool. And it was like almost a student film. And they said, well, this is the only way we're ever going to put it on anything. We promise you it's never going to be in another edition anywhere again. Any special feature thing we ever do anywhere else, the only way you're ever going to see this documentary is on this one edition. And I thought, well, like that's okay. That's kind of cool. And I'm going to go to Target to get that one kind of thing because mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting concept. Definitely. But. When you do something like they did Star Trek Into Darkness, you just knew later on that somehow they were going to clamor all that crap together and do an ultimate edition. And right. Why in the hell would you want to go buy five copies of it at five different stores? Exactly. Um, I feel like the saving grace right now is is kind of uh, like Scream Factory and Shout Factory that actually cares about the collector. And it's kind of like yeah. how Mondo is doing their releases of records. Like you're always going to have that Scream Factory. You're always going to have Mondo that are going to put out the stuff for the fan. Absolutely. I mean, Shot Factory is the, the criterion of genre films. Mm-hmm. I mean, they figured out the formula, which is do something really cool catered to a specific audience, and one of two things occurs, or both things occur. Yeah. Which is that people who already own it are going to go buy the special edition of it, almost guaranteed. The other thing is that people that are really get obsessed with it are going to buy whatever you release, no matter what it is, because they're buying your brand. You right. branded it in a way like if Criterion puts it out, it's going to be co- it's 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 cool. Mm-hmm. You know, if Shout Factory puts it out, it's going to be awesome. Right. If you're in the UK and it's an Arrow video puts it out, then you know it's like the stamp of approval that this is something really cool and you should check it out. Yeah, and that's you know bodes very very well for them. And Mon, that's exactly what Mondo did. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like Mondo. It's like hey, if the Mondo seal of approval, you know, you want to go buy it. Mondo, I have other problems with, but their branding, I they they're they're aces in my book. Yeah, their limited amount of uh, copies, not so much. Yeah, well, I mean, well, they they they're screwing themselves out of money. I'll never understand a company that actually want, doesn't want to make money, which apparently right. is my opinion is what Mondo does. Mm-hmm. Mondo seems to have this this concept that that like toy manufacturers have, which is how somehow exclusivity and limited editions and built in shortfalls is a marketing strategy. Like, Nintendo's the key, right, to that. I mean, right. like, Nintendo's, like, BS over the years, and as long as I can remember, of how, like, oh, I, you can't get a Wii because we just didn't make enough of them. Right. Bullshit. You know, you're, you're literally keeping the market under underrepresented to keep the hype going. Yeah, that's what David's going through right now and Rich with those little Amiibo yeah. uh, figures, you know? Yeah, I'll never understand that. It's like, you know what? Mondo kills me because Mondo makes like, a, you know, 50 of a poster and sells them for like $55 a piece. And then five minutes later, they're $300 a piece on the a- internet. Mm-hmm. Now, why wouldn't Mondo just do what some of the t shirt companies have done on their limited editions, which is say, like, okay, for 24 hours, we're going to take pre orders for this poster at 50 bucks a poster. Mm-hmm. And. At the end of the run of the fifty uh, of the twenty-four hours, we're going to stop, and however many of those orders we got, that's how many posters we're going to run. Yeah, you know, and then you know, it, it, that's it. I mean, it's like they're going to sell less than the fifty they were going to make to begin with, or less than the hundred and fifty they were going to make to begin with. Right. I mean, I mean, I think maybe they think that you know they're only selling out of the hundred and fifty because everybody who's buying it is a reseller. Right. <laughs> 
that's true and that, that's what also kills the the fandom is somebody just buying four to resell on ebay for twice as much yeah exactly yeah. okay and, and i mean the last thing i was gonna, I just want to talk about is digital copies are the, the, probably the best thing you could do for a collector for a blu-ray that if you want to have you know on your iphone or your tablet or something you have that you bought the movie so therefore you should be able to play it on any other format yeah, I like it too. Vinyl does this too. I mean, I, if you buy a vinyl record, you get a digital download most of the time. Mm-hmm. And if you buy the DVD or the Blu-ray and they can toss in the digital copy, then I think that's really, really cool. I just, I'm not willing to give up physical media because it's a tangible thing. As, as long as I've got a Laserdisc player that works, I can watch my Laserdisc. As long as I've got a record player that works, I can listen to records. And rec- I can listen to records that are 80 years old, 90 years old. Right, you don't need a computer. You don't need a. I don't need a connection. computer. But I'll tell you what, man. If my hard drive completely goes down, there are songs that I will lose because I have not got any physical copies of them. In fact, mm-hmm. even when I make actual, when I actually burn, this is how crazy I am. When I buy a record that has a, I, I don't, I don't ever usually really do the digital movies, so I'm right. liking it back to music. But when I buy a record and it has a download in it. I actually download the thing and I let put that onto my drive. Then I burn a CD of it as well, and I put the CD in my CD case. Okay. So that way, when my hard drive craps out and I lose everything, or my, my hard drive and my backup all crap out and I lose everything, I'll still be able to make a digital copy of it because I can't use the download code anymore because it's a one and done. Mm-hmm. But now I have, but I have a CD of it that I can go rip the files back off of again. Yeah. So I don't trust. I don't trust hard drives. They crash all the time. I don't know a single person who has not had a hard drive crash or a backup crash and lost something. Yeah. I so, lost my entire iTunes collection of movies uh, between this move trying to get yeah, uh, it Yeah, and that's up. it. And who's going to give it back to you? Nobody. The only way you're going to get it backed up is if you put it in a cloud somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, theoretically, <laughs> the cloud could go down. And then you're paying you're, – yeah, you're literally paying – to store it when you could have just bought the damn thing for fourteen ninety nine and sat it on a shelf. And then think about how much you pay. I mean, you're talking about paying like a terabyte in cloud is something like a hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to you know, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, that's insane. Yes. Where you could just have a collection in your house. Yeah, I know it's if you have a small place, it's kind of burdening. But I mean, if you like that movie, enough. you know what? If it's that burden, I mean, throw out all of the packaging. <laughs> right, yeah, I've seen people get like a big booklet, you know, and they throw the packaging. You, right you can store a, a thousand CDs in, you know, on a, on a, on a, on a, you know, buy a dowel rod and, and screw a base into it. And you can store a thousand CDs with no packaging whatsoever mm-hmm. in the corner of your room. And it'd probably be about, you know, three and a half, four feet tall. God, imagine so the I think you can to manage to even squeeze that in your like four like your like your two hundred and twenty five square foot IKEA, you know, uh, apartment building mm-hmm. in Manhattan. Right. <laughs> you know, like, well great. I think you can manage to squeeze that in there. Definitely. Well Tim, I know you need to go. Um I just wanted to catch up with you and see what else are you up to right now. Um, I'm about to take over as the uh, programming coordinator for the Florida Film Festival, Very uh, cool. which is fantastic. The previous programming coordinator left to become the full-time manager of Slamdance. Oh, no, uh, I didn't know that. I'm, yeah, and I'm taking over for her, and uh, I'm really, really super excited about it. Um, 
Florida Film Festival's uh, international uh, festival, and it's Oscar accredited. Mm-hmm. If you win a competition short for animation, documentary, or narrative, you're automatically eligible to be nominated for the Oscar. Uh, this is be our 25th year this year, and um, really excited about jumping in there and doing that. So, very cool. And kind of my dream to go back into programming. Um, you know, I've been programming a short film competition for five years now, and uh, this will be like moving a little bit more into the big leagues. So, awesome! Cool. Well, congratulations, man. I'm really happy to see you to grow like that. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Very cool. Uh, blame it on Blockbuster. There you go. That, that's the progression right there. That's your progression. I will find what is best and make sure it gets an Oscar. That's right. <laughs> all right, Sam. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. Well, that's our show for this month. I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, if you'd like to follow the show, we are on Facebook. It's Every Day is Halloween Podcast. And it's not just a clever name. Yeah, Every Day is Halloween Podcast on Facebook. We're on Twitter at Hallows Eve 365 uh, and if you want to check out the Twitch, I'm just horror guy on there. Uh, and if you want to email me at hallowseve365 at gmail.com. Uh, until then, I hope you all stay scary, and I'll leave you all some creepy tunes. Bye, Voltaire. Have a good one. Muhaha. Entertainment, Giant Terror, The War of the Gargantuan, and Monster Zero. Do you see anything? From a planet 50 million miles beyond the stars came a strange message. Lend us your Rodan and Godzilla to fight our Monster Zero. Earth answered, and the most dreaded creatures ever to walk our planet are lifted into outer space. The stage is set for the mightiest battle ever seen by the universe in Monster Zero. Monster Zero!
forces on Earth ready to attack. What started out as a call for help from space turns into a nightmare of terror on Earth, Monster Zero. And the War of the Gargantua. It began with a mysterious, wild storm at sea. And before the night was over, the whole world would hear of the terror of the Gargantua. Where had such a monster come from? What forces created such a devastating destroyer? Who or what could stand up to it? fought the monster with million-volt laser beams. Hey, look! Another one! You'll see all of their terrifying battle to the death when you come to the greatest monster movies ever made, The War of the Gantuas and Monster Zero.